0: I'm gonna tell you a story about a girl whose name you probably haven't heard. On New Year's Day, 2020, a 16-year-old Native American girl named Selena Not Afraid went missing after her ride home stopped at a rest stop and left Selena behind. This rest stop in rural Montana is the last place Selena was seen alive. The area around the rest stop was searched up and down when Selena went missing, with helicopters, dogs, thermal drones, hundreds of volunteers out with trucks and on foot, on ATV and horseback. And in this part of Montana, it's high desert. The land is dry and there's no trees or rocks, just some thin patches of sage bushes. These searches turned up no sign of Selena for 19 days. And then, on day 20, her body was found out in the open, less than a mile away from the rest stop where she vanished. The day that she was found, before an autopsy was completed or any investigation was done, her death was ruled as accidental hypothermia. I'm not an investigator or a journalist or really even a writer, but when I heard Selena's story. I just couldn't let it go, because it just seemed so strange to me. What happened to this girl, and how? How can a death under these circumstances of a healthy 16-year-old girl be attributed to accidental hypothermia, and especially so quickly? I started doing some more digging via local news articles, because at the time, That's the only reporting on Selena's story that I could find. And come to find out that Selena was not the only one in the area to pass away under the same strange circumstances. In fact, she is the fourth indigenous woman or girl in a four-year time span to vanish for weeks and then be found dead out in the open in an area that had been thoroughly searched. And that's just in the southeast corner of Montana. At the time, I thought that there must be a serial killer, but now I've come to realize that the reality is so much worse than a serial killer. Because the reality is what happened to Selena, what happened to those other three women or girls who met a similar fate, their stories are part of a larger crisis of missing and murdered indigenous women, part of an ongoing genocide. As I started to think about it, I realized that I had barely learned anything about Native American history in school. And I've taken a lot of history classes. It was one of my favorite subjects. I remember learning about the Trail of Tears, a very whitewashed version in grade school. But I was also taught in grade school that Thanksgiving narrative that we all know to be a lie. But past that, nothing. And also, come to think of it, I could hardly think of any famous Native Americans alive today. Authors, celebrities, athletes, politicians, musicians, artists. I got Redbone and Sherman Alexie. That was about it. But I thought, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just really ignorant and didn't realize it until now. So I decided to ask some friends. Can you name three famous Native Americans alive today? And what do you remember learning about Native American history in school? Sarah, can I interview you? I guess. Uh, so uh, so Sarah, cool. I, the only other question I have... Can you please name three famous Native American people uh, alive today? Here, hold this. Found... Ask yourself <laughs> <laughs> it. Such a great interview. Ask it. I'm a professional fucking girl. So let's stay on target, please, okay. Sarah. <laughs> I don't. Um, um, famous Native American. Three famous Native American people alive today.
1: Alive today? Um, the only person I can think of is Deb Holland. Um, uh, who else is alive today that I know of? Yeah, I can't think of any other.
2: Okay. So, um,
0: Angel, can you please name three famous Native American people uh, alive today?
1: Alive today.
0: Alive today.
1: God, I, can, I, I know them, I just don't remember their names, motherfucker. I can name you three Zapatista leaders, but I, 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 don't, I, I literally cannot get that in my brain.
2: You know, I'm pretty ashamed to say that I cannot think of three famous Native Americans that are alive today.
0: Damien, <laughs> do you remember in school? Any level of school did you learn about Native American history? If you did, what do you remember learning about it? We barely covered it. If we ever mentioned it, it was what happened to the Natives after and even then it wasn't depicted in the gruesome way that it was. Like, we learned about the Trail of Tears but even then, like...
2: The the very little that we did learn about um, Native American culture Native American history was the Trail of Tears and even looking back at that, I think it was pretty sugar-coated. I don't I don't remember being like a very hard hitting, you know, it was sad, but it was also mixed in with, you know, well, yeah, history, you know, it's sad. There wasn't really a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, our
0: role as
2: settler or colonizer.
0: I started working on this podcast within the same year of the protests against the murder of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And look, I'm not saying in any way that the struggle of Native Americans is greater or more important than the struggle of the Black community, the Latinx community, etc.? Because hardship is not a competition. And also, who am I to say? I'm definitely white presenting. I've always been treated as white. But what I feel I can say is that the genocide happening to Native Americans is not part of the national conversation the way it should be. If you go up to any random person on the street and ask them if they know what Black Lives Matter is, if they've ever heard that before, I think most people are going to know, at least a little bit. But go up to any random person and ask them about the MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement, and I think you're going to get a lot of blank stares. If I never came across Selena's story, I would have been one of those blank stares, Because I didn't know about the rampant violence that Native American women face. I didn't know that murder is the third leading cause of death for young Native women, and that Native women face murder rates 10 times higher than any other ethnicity. There's a lot that I didn't know. I didn't know that for a six-year period in the 70s, a quarter of Native American women were sterilized without their consent or knowledge at reservation clinics. I didn't know that the police kill Native Americans at a rate higher than any other race in the country. I didn't know that there was a government body called the Bureau of Indian Affairs that oversees reservations and that, to this day, has the discretion to lease and sell Native American-owned land without notifying or getting consent from the landowner who's living there. I didn't know that 40% of reservation housing is highly inadequate, often without heat or safe tap water. I didn't know that before the Indian Child Welfare Act was passed in 1978, approximately 80% of families on reservations had at least one child taken away, to foster care placements often far away from their parents and tribe, or to boarding schools. When I learned about Abraham Lincoln in school, it wasn't taught that he ordered the execution of 38 Dakota Indians fighting to protect their land, the largest mass execution in American history, but never ordered the execution of a single Confederate general. And speaking of presidents, I never learned that Theodore Roosevelt is quoted as saying that the only good Indian is a dead Indian. If I was going to put Selena's story out into the world, I wanted to do it right. I wanted to try to understand firsthand as best I could. So I drove up to Montana to stay for a visit on the res, or what I thought would be a visit. But actually, I came to the res and never left. I'm still here. I never expected that I, as an outsider, and a white outsider at that, would be taken in by the community the way I have been. The welcome I've received on the res is not deserved on my part at all. Just on historical precedent alone, I don't deserve it. And also, I'm literally nobody, just a rando, non-journalist from Iowa. But so many people opened their doors to me, and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. I really, really can't say that enough. This would be a very different podcast if it weren't for the generosity of new friends, taking me in and showing me the beauty and the struggle of res life. But let's get back to the reason I started this journey, Selena. I'm gonna take you back to how Selena Not Afraid spent New Year's Eve 2019, the last night before she vanished.
2: a big question on everyone's mind. How could Selena be missing for 20 days with searches happening for 20 days? And search crews miss finding her body. But she wasn't there. Them sick bastards brought her back.
0: Our women are not turning up dead in fields or thrown over fences on their own accord. And that's what law enforcement wants the world to believe. This is law and order the individual stories of systematic oppression. My name is Emma, I'm your host. I met with Terrell Alden, one of Selena's best friends. I wanted to learn more about Selena's life and talk about anything he might remember from that New Year's Eve night. We met in the study room of the public library in Hardin, Montana the small town where Terrell and Selena went to high school together. I got to the library a few minutes before he did. My hands were a little shaky setting up the mic. My foot was tapping uncontrollably on the side of my chair. But Terrell was warm and open, very easy to talk to. Do you ever feel like you can tell someone is a good person right off the bat? There's just something about them? That's what Terrell was like. He was the student body president when he and Selena were in school together. Looking at photos of Terrell and Selena and a few other kids who were described as their best friends, it's like they came straight out of a high school movie. In these photos, they're dressed up at the school dance, smiling in the photo booth, or bundled up in the bleachers at a football game, or taking selfies in the car. It seems like Selena was never alone. Next to her is always Terrell or one of their other best friends. I'm always really nervous before interviews because these conversations are tough. They're emotional. And I know that I'm asking a lot of people who agree to speak with me. I'm asking them to relive and share such a traumatic loss in their life And it's hard for me to really even imagine the strength that that takes. And also, with each conversation I've had, I've come to realize more and more that it's almost never just the one traumatic loss in the life of a native person. Selena was a member of the Crow tribe, and on the Crow reservation, it's hard to find a family without a missing or murdered woman. Oftentimes, more than one. I know that may sound like an exaggeration, but I'm sorry to say that it's really not. I've linked to an article about MMIW specifically on the Crow and nearby Northern Cheyenne reservations in the show notes. Sometimes working on this podcast, I become far removed from the reality of Selena's story. I forget how recently Selena passed away and how young she would be if she were still alive. This episode will be released on the two-year anniversary of her disappearance. But when I met with Terrell, the reality of the situation crashed back into my mind. Because Terrell is still so young, he's in his first year of college, like Selena would be, still a teenager. Terrell and Selena had been close friends since elementary school. You almost couldn't help it, he told me, in a class as small as theirs. He showed me a photo of their middle school graduation. There's maybe 20 kids in the class. But I asked him what it was about his relationship with Selena that made the two of them such good friends.
1: It was kind of, I don't know, like, Joking, like, I don't know, like, if you're on the res, like, you have, like, dark humor and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Like, we just always teased each other, and it was just so funny, you know? Yeah. Like, that was kind of, like, our way of showing each other, like, we loved each other. Uh-huh. It was just, like, teasing each other.
0: Here's what Terrell had to say about Selena's plans for that New Year's Eve night.
1: I remember we were getting out of school, and I was talking to her, and I said, what are you going to do this? And she said, I'm going to go to Billings and um, hang out.
0: Billings is the largest city in the state of Montana. But population-wise, it's actually not really a big city at all. It's a little smaller than where I live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which isn't even considered a big city in Iowa or anywhere else. But the area surrounding Billings, the southeast corner of Montana, it's so vast and barely populated, that Billings feels huge in comparison. Billings is really close to two different reservations, the Crow and the Northern Cheyenne. But despite this close proximity, Billings is very white, just under 90%. Selena lived part-time with her mom in Billings and part-time with her grandma in Hardin a small town 45 miles east of Billings that is half on the Crow Reservation and half off. She stayed with her grandma during the week for school. And then on holidays and weekends, she went to Billings to stay with her mom. We always know where she's at. If she ain't with her mom, she's with her grandma. That's the voice of Cheryl Horn, Selena's auntie. Cheryl has been lifelong best friends with Selena's mom, Jackie, A friendship so close that they are sisters, although not biologically speaking. But Cheryl was close to Selena for her whole life. It was Cheryl who was in the room with Jackie when Selena was born, and it was Cheryl who named her. Jackie doesn't speak to the media about her daughter, but she speaks through Cheryl. Everything I do, I have to go
2: through her. Because it's her daughter. It's her daughter's story, you know. So everything I do, everybody I talk to, you know, she's aware of it.
0: You'll be hearing more from Cheryl throughout Selena's story. She advocates for Selena and other cases of missing and murdered indigenous women, especially in Montana. A quick note, Cheryl mostly calls Selena by her nickname Sal. Like Sal as in Sally. So it's the night of New Year's Eve, And Selena is at home with her mom, Jackie, with no plans to go out. Selena and her mom, Jackie, have a really close mother-daughter bond. From what I've heard, they were pretty inseparable. Even when they weren't together, they were always talking, calling, texting, checking in. So, staying in for the night with her mom seemed fine by Selena. She wasn't looking for something to do that night. And it seems like Selena's friend group, her best friends... They were all doing the same thing, spending time with family. Here's Selena's best friend, Terrell. Um,
1: let me see, I was here, I was in Crow with my cousins and Alyssa and LaFay. I knew Alyssa was home and LaFay was too, I think. And Selena was the only one building, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. But y'all were all kind of just like doing your own thing, yeah. just like low key. Mm-hmm. Those are Selena's other best friends, Alyssa and LaFay. They all graduated middle school together in that tiny class of 20-ish kids. It's getting to be late in the evening. Selena and Jackie are getting ready to go to bed when they get a surprise visitor. Here's Cheryl. Sal and
2: Jackie were home. Her mom. Home in bed, getting ready to go to Misty
0: shows up about 9 o'clock and tells Jackie, let's go try $5 at the casino. Misty is also Selena's aunt. She's the sister of Selena's estranged biological father. And even though things are definitely not great, to say the least, between Jackie and Selena's father, Misty is still a friend, and it's not uncommon or awkward for her to come by. You
2: know, and Jackie's like, all right, then, you know, just $5 would take probably 20 minutes, half hour. You know, and then Sal jumps up and says, "Um, I don't want to be alone.
0: Take me to DeAndra's. So Jackie agrees to go on a quick outing with Misty to the local casino, play what they can with $5 and come home. But Selena doesn't want to be home alone, even for this short amount of time. Since her mom is going out, she wants to be dropped off with her friend DeAndra. Cheryl isn't crow. And she lives a few hours' drive away on another reservation in Montana. So she doesn't know DeAndra, or at least she didn't before all this happened. But I wondered if Terrell did, and if he could tell me how close of friends DeAndra and Selena were.
1: Yeah, they got really close. Um, I think it was, because whenever, Selena had friends like in Billings, you know, oh. and like we were her friends here. And I know that DeAndra, Deandra was one of her friends, like that was in Billings. And then, um, so that's how I—that's—I never really knew. I knew all of Deandra like I knew. Um, she lived in Billings. I knew she was. Um, I think she was around the same age as us. I don't know.
0: Deandra was eighteen, a couple years older than Selena. She was sixteen at the time. Selena and Deandra met through Selena's older sister, and from the sense I got. DeAndra was close in the terms of Selena's Billings friends, the ones that she saw from time to time on the weekends. But the friend group that had been best friends since middle school, who knew Selena really, really well, those were Selena's friends in Hardin. Here's Cheryl again. And Jackie's like, yeah, I'll just stay here. I'll be
2: right back. And she's like, no, please just take me to DeAndra's. I'm just going to go for a cruise with her.
0: A cruise, by the way, meaning a drive around listening to music. Cheryl had to explain this to me. I grew up in Chicago, so I've never thought of driving as anything fun. But anyway. The girls want to go cruising near DeAndra's house. So Selena asks to be dropped off with DeAndra before Misty and Jackie go to the casino. Jackie didn't have a car at this time, but she agrees to drop Selena off borrowing Misty's car. But Jackie has one stipulation for her daughter. Jackie tells her, make sure she brings you home because I'm not going to have a ride. I'm going to get a bit into the weeds here, but I promise it will come into play in a minute. Jackie assumed that she was dropping off Selena at DeAndra's place. But when they got in the car and started heading towards DeAndra's neighborhood, Selena told her mom. Oh, she's not there. She's at her boyfriend's. And Jackie says
2: DeAndre has a boyfriend, you know, because Jackie didn't know she had a boyfriend. And
0: right. so I was like, oh yeah, yeah, his name's Wade, and she's she's there now, and I'm gonna jump in with her. I don't mention this because of anything out of the ordinary happening. It all sounds pretty run of the mill for coordinating pickups and drop-offs, especially when you're sharing a car. I just want to be clear on how Selena came to be dropped off at Deandra's boyfriend's house. So Jackie drops Selena off at the house. She watches Selena get out of the car and walk toward the front door. Before Selena gets to the door, Jackie rolls down her window and reminds Selena one more time that she has to make sure Deandra can bring her home. And that was the last she's seen her daughter.
2: Never, never seen her again. You know, yeah, I will,
0: Mom. You know, like that. Smiling, walking away from her. Because the next day...
1: Powered by the Montana Television Network. This is the 10 o'clock news on Q2, Montana's news leader.
0: A missing endangered person advisory was issued for Selena Not Afraid last night. Not
2: Afraid left her broken down vehicle
0: at an island. Selena I-90 was dropped off staff. on New Year's Eve between 9 and 10 p.m. By 2 p.m. on New Year's Day, she was missing. Selena did not cruise with Deandra and then go right home that night. She ended up spending the whole night out with Deandra and Deandra's friends, all a bit older than Selena, some in their late teens and some in their early 20s. So what happened that night? Here's what I know, or what I think I know. There's a lot of gray area and unanswered questions in how Selena spent this night. Deandra's boyfriend Wade had a house party. Selena and Deandra were at that house for a while, the party eventually went out to a bar in Billings called Shooters. I asked Terrell what the vibe is like in Shooters. Well, what he has heard about the vibe from friends over the age of 21, of course.
1: It's kind of sketchy sometimes, too, I guess. Like the stuff you see off of a movie, like people might slip something into it. Because there's always like sketchy people that walk in, you know. Yeah. So.
0: I haven't seen any posts from Selena's social media that night. But it seems that she was using her phone. Terrell saw her on Snapchat. And she used her phone for something else too. Here's Terrell.
1: The next day, I remember waking up and I got like seven missed calls from Selena. And then she texted me and she said, Hey, answer it, please. She said, Where are you?
0: He told me that those calls from Selena came around 4 a.m. And during that same window of time, 911 was called twice to that house party. Once at 3:47 a.m. and again at 4:14 a.m. But whatever was happening that night, Selena sounded like her normal happy self the next morning, New Year's Day. She had a conversation with her aunt Cheryl on the phone around 9 a.m. New Year's Day was the last time Selena, not afraid, was seen alive. She spent the night at Wade's after the party, and then the next morning, trying to get a ride home, she got into a van that was headed toward Hardin. The van started having engine trouble and pulled into a rest stop, the only one on the stretch of a highway between Billings and Hardin. But when the van was up and running and left, Selena was left behind. To be clear... This podcast is not and will never shame teenagers for partying. Selena did nothing wrong that night by going out. Neither did her mom Jackie by letting her out. What I will say is, unfortunately, a teenage girl drinking is in and of itself risky. And especially on her own, remember, Selena was friends with Deandra, but she didn't know most of the people at the party that night. And Selena was especially vulnerable because of where she was and who she was, a Native American girl. Native Americans make up about 6% of the total population in Montana. But get this 26% of missing people in Montana are Native American. Those disproportionate numbers are shocking on their own. And it's also important to remember that it's likely an undercount. Sometimes Native American is not even an option when identifying the race of a person on official paperwork, the way African American and Caucasian are. Native Americans sometimes must identify or be identified as quote, other. And also reports for missing indigenous people are often not taken seriously, but sometimes not taken at all. A 2016 study found that on a national level, only 2% of missing persons reports given to local law enforcement for indigenous women and girls were logged to a federal database. And where Selena was that night, in Billings, and then where she was left behind in Bighorn County it is especially dangerous. Bighorn County includes all of Hardin and parts of the Crow and Northern Cheyenne Reservations, all rural sparsely populated areas. Billings is right on the outskirts of Bighorn County. According to a report by the Montana Department of Justice, Bighorn County has the highest number of missing persons in the state, There are counties with much larger populations, the counties that have cities like Billings or Bozeman or Missoula. Bighorn County is not nearly as populated, but still more missing people. And Billings is bad, too. According to a report from the Urban Indian Health Institute, Billings is the fifth worst urban area in the country for missing and murdered indigenous women. But with what we know at this point about Selena's night, it kind of just sounds like a messy, drunken New Year's Eve, right? I mean, Selena was drinking, as many teenagers do. And who knows, 911 is called a lot of times for situations that aren't really dangerous, especially on holidays like New Year's Eve. Maybe Selena was calling Terrell not because of something scary happening at the party, but just to tell him that the cops had showed up. But also, I don't know. Selena grew up on the Crow Reservation. And listen, I'm no expert. But from my perspective, from what I've seen, the res, res life, is really wild. Like, stranger than fiction wild. What might be considered the craziest experience of someone's life off the res, on the res, it's just a normal day. Selena was 16, but she wasn't a total baby like I was when I was 16. I think it's safe to say that having lived on the res her whole life, she had seen and experienced some things already. So I'm not sure that she would be blowing up Terrell's phone like this in the middle of the night just to tell him that the cops were there. But also, maybe the cops being there is what scared her. We'll get into this more later, but... The Billings police are violent and corrupt. They are known to do shady things like rough people up, intimidate people, and from what I've heard, target Native American teenage girls at parties. Selena was out of her element that night in a lot of ways. She lived most of the time in a town where everyone knows everyone in the tight-knit community of her tribe. But that night, she was out in the big city at least by Montana standards, and with people who were more acquaintances than anything and who were, for the most part, in their early 20s. Teenage girls have messy, drunken nights. It's part of growing up. Nights where you don't realize how bad things could have gone until after it's over. Experiences where you were vulnerable with no one looking out for you and didn't see the danger you were in until it had passed that's what this night should have been for Selena, one of many learning curves of being a young woman in a dangerous world. But like far too many other Native women and girls, Selena never made it home, or at least not in the way her family hoped. We'll talk more about this night and this party next time. Thank you for listening to Law in Order, systematic oppression through the lens of individual stories. Selena Not Afraid's story continues next week. Huge thank you and appreciation to Cheryl and Terrell and to everyone who has helped or hosted me on this journey. The voices in the intro belong to Cheryl Horn and Desi Rodriguez-Lone Bear. If you like what you heard, I would love for you to subscribe, rate, tell a friend, or leave an iTunes review. Get in touch on Facebook, Instagram, or email Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.